0: So when your mind starts to wander, where does it go? Like when you daydream, what are some of your your daydreams that kind of come up? Do I got any like beach people in here? Does your mind just go to like vacations and like happy places and all that? got a very enthusiastic hand in in the air over there. Uh, Maybe some of the single people, it's kind of your crush. Maybe that person you're dating, your mind just kind of starts thinking about them, what's going on. Are some of you guys just more simple people? You're the ceiling tile counters. Like, you know how many lights are in this room because you count them during my sermons. Some of you guys probably know some of that. Or maybe you're a sports person. You're daydreaming about the Nuggets actually winning a championship possibly this year. (laughs) We have something to look forward to. I actually, uh, I don't know if you've had this experience before where maybe you're just driving home from work or someplace. And before you know it, you're home and you don't even remember driving. Have you ever had that experience before? Which is actually terrifying when you really think about it. You're like, what just happened? I wasn't even conscious while I was just driving on the highway. I had a husband confess to me recently in our church. He said, Brian, sometimes my wife starts talking to me, and then a few moments later, I hear her say, you only heard the first and last words, didn't you? <laughs> and It's it weird. My brain just like turns off. Now, I have never done that to Nicole. I'm a very attentive husband. I listen to every word she says. But some of you other husbands, you need to do better. You just need to do better. But um, there was a study done by Harvard a little while back, and what they found is the average person will spend half of their waking hours thinking about something other than what they're actually doing. So half the time, we're just kind of zoning out, thinking about other stuff. It wasn't even that that was so interesting to me. The study also found that most people daydream about negative things. That most of us, our habit is actually to kind of drift towards the anxiety and the worries and the worst case scenarios of our life. Does that describe you? I'm just wondering, I'm wondering if that's accurate for you. Apparently, that's, that's typical. When you're alone with your thoughts, are they worse than the actual reality you're living in? So I think many people would say at least this, even if you're able to get your body at rest, maybe you're even laying down to go to bed at night, many of us have this experience where our heads are just spinning with all the things we have going on. Like we can slow our bodies down, but we really struggle to slow our minds down. And you're sitting in a chair right now at church, it's pretty comfortable, it's a decent chair, okay. The climate's okay in this room, you're you're, you're a little relaxed even though you're in a rested state, you're about to hear a riveting, inspiring, life-changing message, and you're still going to daydream for about 25 minutes of this message. I just heard a big amen there. That was not the right place to amen. Uh, It's probably Solon, but you're going to be thinking about your shopping list, some of you guys are going to slip in and just check ESPN real quick for a couple moments during the slow part, and then the sermon's going to be over, and you're not going to know what happened. Like, that's just going to happen right now over these next couple minutes. For the last two months, we have been talking about rest as a church. We've been talking about this importance of getting in a rhythm with God and getting real rest for your soul, and I'm kind of sad, but I'm also excited to say today we are closing out the pause series, everybody. We're bringing it to a nice, clean end. And what I've enjoyed so much about this series is all the conversations I had with people in our church. I've had so many people come up to me these last couple of weeks say, Brian, I never even considered how central this theme of rest is in the Bible and how important it is to God. But other people have said, Brian, I have never even considered doing a Sabbath in my own life. I've been in church forever, and that was never something I even thought about. And even people just saying how they're marking finish lines in their week, and they're thinking about all the things they do want to do when they're taking the day off and when they don't. So my hope is that in the coming weeks, months, and years, we see the real fruit of some of these practices in our lives and in our church. Because I can only imagine what God could do through a church of people who are really experiencing the real rest down into their soul. And at any point in time, if this topic has interested you or you want to learn more, you can go to nhills.org resources. We have a whole page that has everything about rest you could ever hope for. We have books and podcasts and videos and different things you can check out if you want to dig into it more deeply. But today, I want to tie this thing with a nice bow. We're going to close it out. And what I know is many of us might start experimenting with some of these practices. You're going to be able to slow yourself down, get rested but you're still going to struggle to rest your mind. And your head is still just going to be spinning with all of the things. And my hope today is to go through a passage that is going to help you really get rested in every area of your life, particularly when it comes to your thinking. And so we're going to look at a passage today that is one of the most famous in the entire Bible. Psalm 23. Wyatt just read it on the stage here just a moment ago. This passage has been shaping people's imaginations and ideas about God for 3,000 years. And it's simple enough for a kid to track along with, but it is complex enough where theologians have spent lifetimes trying to delve into the different layers and depths of it. But I believe this passage really gives us some of the greatest foundational reasons for why you can truly be rested on any day of the week, at any time. And here's what I'm hoping you'll do by the end of this sermon today. Here's what I just want for everybody. (sighs) That's what I want for you, to be able to just take a deep breath and be like, I am so glad all of that is true. And maybe you can walk out of here just feeling a little bit more rested yourself. So so we're going to dig into it right now. We're going to start right from the top. Psalm 23, verse 1, it says this, the Lord is my shepherd. I lack nothing. Now, we actually love to use animals to represent groups of people. So you think about sports teams, schools will usually pick a mascot. Even entire nations have like animals. So Russia, their national animal is a bear. It's a pretty good, fierce, strong animal. Uh, The UK, they have a lion, not a bad choice, pretty good one. Even, Even just our country, United States of America, an eagle. I mean, very majestic, right? Now, the image often used for the people of God in the Bible is a sheep, Out of all the animals God could have picked for you, he said, this is the most accurate one. Now, maybe you didn't know this about sheep. They are some of the most dependent animals on earth. They require more care than any other livestock in the world. They're completely defenseless against predators. They got nothing. They're easily frightened, very finicky, and incredibly difficult. I know that describes nobody in this room right now. We're talking about other people. I know that doesn't describe us. Now, actually, David does not use this image of shepherds and sheeps to be an insult to us. That's actually not what he's doing. He's using it as a praise to God. Because David is reflecting on his own personal experience. He was a shepherd for many years of his life. And he's thinking about all that time he spent out in the fields, taking care of these flocks, putting his life even at risk to provide for these things. And he's stepping back and thinking, that is just what God's like in my life. He's like a really good shepherd. And as David's thinking about that, he's thinking, if that's true, if God's really my shepherd, then this must be true too. I lack nothing. Now, as I was reading that, I'll be honest with you. My first thought was, really, David, nothing I mean, that seems like a little bit of an exaggeration. That, that's a little much. Can, can you honestly say you lack nothing? Because I know every single one of us in here, we would say there's some things we lack. Some of us sitting here, we'd say, yeah, I lack a little bit of money. I'd like to have some more. I lack time. I lack energy. I lack health in my body. There's opportunities we lack. We are very painfully aware of all the things we lack in our lives. And actually, an entire marketing and advertising industry is built around this very idea. It took me a minute to find an appropriate example. I had to find a male who actually had a shirt on, but here's a men's health cover right here that if you just look at all those different headlines right there, it is touching on everything you lack because you need this workout program because you lack real fitness or you need to take these steps because you lack a really fulfilling romantic life. And if you can take care of all these things you lack, maybe one day you can be like John Krasinski and date Pam and even marry her from the office. That's what you can have, but you lack. That's why you need to read this magazine. There's a social media influencer who talks about finances. He posted this on his site a little while ago. Why you're broke as he stands in front of his multi-hundred-thousand-dollar Lamborghini. You know why you need to follow him? Because you lack the financial savvy to be as rich as that 27-year-old. And your 2014 Subaru is not a Lamborghini. You lack it. And so we get reminded all the time of the things we don't have. And this scarcity mindset can be absolutely debilitating. It can create a lot of anxiety and stress in our life. But David is speaking from personal experience. And this is what he's trying to say. He's like, I know to be true. This is a fact of life. And it is this promise that we have that God will provide. He will provide. David unpacks this whole idea. Verse 2, he says, He makes me lie down in green pastures. He leads me beside quiet waters. He refreshes my soul. A good shepherd knows what the sheep need. They know how to get them the food and the water that's necessary, and they will make sure it is provided. And David is saying, God knows exactly what you need And he has access to every single resource to provide it. Now, let's be real. Do you experience that to be true in your own life? I know you're in church, so you're supposed to say, yes, yes, Brian. This is where I say amen, and it's true. But do you genuinely experience God as providing all of your needs in your daily life? Because I have to bet that there's some people here today where you'd say, you know, Brian, if I was really being honest with you, it doesn't feel like God always comes through. It doesn't feel like he fulfills and meets all of the needs that I have in my own life. And it kind of feels like it's on me to figure this out. It doesn't feel like I have some shepherd meeting all my needs. It feels like it's kind of on me. Now, one reason I think we feel this tension is because we actually need an expectations reset kind of need to fix how we think about this. Paul was a writer in the New Testament. He says this in Philippians 4, and my God will meet all your needs according to the riches of his glory in Christ Jesus. You know what a really important word is in that phrase? What word do you think I'm noticing right now? Anybody want to guess? Needs. That is a very important word right now. There is no place in the Bible where God promises to be your personal genie and fulfill every single wish and want you have. There's nowhere in the Bible where you get promised that God is going to fulfill every single thing on your bucket list. And if we're not careful, sometimes this just slips into our hearts. We kind of get this spirit of entitlement where we just expect God to come through on every single thing we ask him for. And yet there's a perspective shift you need to have. That's not what God promises. He says, I will make sure you have every single thing you need. Now, I've been thinking about my own life, even just reflecting on this sermon. There's a lot of stuff that I really, really want. (laughs) There really is. i got quite a long list, actually. And I've asked God for a lot of these things. And many of them have not happened, and I don't know if they ever will. I've really pushed myself on this, though. I was thinking, have I ever truly had a time in my life when God actually did not give me what I absolutely needed? And I'm telling you, I can't think of a single time, and I tried really hard to think about it, I can't think of a single time where God genuinely did not give me what I needed in any situation I have faced. He has always come through. He has never failed to meet my needs. And what I have experienced, and maybe you've seen this too in your own life, sometimes God will strip you down to where you only have what you need. And he's going to help you learn that he really is the only one you can depend on. He is your true provider. I'm wondering today, what do you need? What do you really need? Because David does give this promise, you have a good shepherd. And he wants to give you every single thing you need. So maybe what you leave with today is just an opportunity to come to God with, Lord, these are just my needs right now. And he says, I would be happy to meet those needs and take care of you. Now, David continues on this kind of imagery with the shepherd and the sheep thing. He says this in the next line. He guides me along the right paths for his namesake. I try to do as much counseling and care as I possibly can in our church. I can't do it all, but I try to do as much as I can. And I love doing it because I get to sit down and hear people's stories and their struggles. And it really helps me even just be reminded I'm talking to real human beings, even up here on Sundays. It's really helpful. But interestingly, one of the primary things that usually comes up in conversations I have with people is around direction. So people want to have these conversations They're like, well, Brian, how do I make the right decision? Which direction should I go in? Do I move? Do I change jobs? Should I date that person, marry that person, leave that person? And this is the struggle, right? It's really hard to know what the right path is. Like, it's really hard to figure out some of these decisions. And I think we have these moments where we feel like we're just kind of flailing around trying to figure this thing out. And you're like, God, um, this is kind of a big deal. A little bit more clarity would be kind of helpful in this situation. I'd appreciate a little bit of direction. Isaiah was a Old Testament prophet and he spoke about a human reality that is true of all of us. In Isaiah 53, he says, all of us, like sheep, have strayed away. We have left God's paths to follow our own. Now, think of a good shepherd, they're going to make sure all the sheep are in the fold, they're getting them in the right direction. But you just have to imagine in any flock, there's got to be that one sheep every time. You know, the belligerent, difficult one who's always wandering around, wanting to do their own thing, go in their own direction before they know it, they're starting to walk off a cliff and that shepherd has to go rescue them every single time. Guess what? You're that sheep. <laughs> and so am I. We're that one. We're the difficult one. We're the, we're, we're the pain in God's butt sometimes, I'm sure. And I don't know if maybe some of the old school church people in here, you know that him prone to wander, Lord, I feel it, is just part of the human experience. We want to go in our own directions. And I'm sure there's a lot of us in this room, you have your own stories of wandering in the wrong direction. Some of us have entire decades of our lives, seasons and years, where we were going in the wrong direction. And a lot of us have felt the pain of those consequences of trying to figure the thing out out on our own. Now this is what David says. He says, because God is a good shepherd, there's another promise that he guarantees you, and it is this, that God will guide. He absolutely will guide. Early in Nicole's and I's marriage, when life was great, before we had children, and we could do whatever we wanted. (laughs) I love my kids. We used to love going to different cities around the country and so we would love trying the food and seeing the culture and just kind of getting the vibe so it was just something we like to do. And something we often did when we go to these cities is take tours because you know you only have like two days or something so we're like let's just get through it quick and talk to somebody who knows how to do it. But here's what I loved about these tours. I didn't ever have to worry about where we were going ever. I'm paying this person to get me in the right direction. And so all we had to do was not get a map or worry about learning any of the directional items. All I had to do was make sure I did one thing. There's only one thing I had to do. Stay close to the guide. That was it. Just make sure you follow them and walk with them, and they're going to get you where you need to go. That was the only thing I had to think about. What I love about this passage is David right here, when he talks about guiding on the right paths— He doesn't then start going off on a whole little rabbit trail saying, oh, and by the way, here's the 10 steps to getting God's guidance for your life. Here's the three things you need to do. Here's the button you need to press. There's actually a secret password, and this is how you do it. Because isn't that exactly what we want to do? We're like, God, just show me. What's the roadmap? I'll do it. I just need you to make it clear. We try to make God's path and God's guidance into a formula. We try to science it to death. There's something you just have to know today. There is a mystery to following God. There's an art to this thing. Following God is not a march. It's much more of a dance. And you don't always know what the next move is going to be. And if there is one thing I could tell you, about the best way to get God's guidance for your life, this is really the only guarantee I can really give you. There's no formula. But if there's one thing you could do to guarantee that you stay on the right path with God, it's this. Stay close to the shepherd. you got to stay close to the shepherd. The number one way I have seen God work in my life has always been by me just doing everything I could possibly do to stay close to God. It's been the best guarantee because this is the truth. I don't know what the right path is. I have no idea. Can I boost your confidence right now, even about our church? People ask me, Brian, what's the five-year vision for the church? I have no idea. I have no idea. I don't know where we're going to be in five years. Are you kidding me? You don't know where you're going to be in five years. I don't know the plan, but what I am doing is I am staying as close to God as I possibly can, and he has done a pretty good job guiding this church over the years with doing that. And you don't know the right path for your life either. You don't. We never know how it works. But God does. And this is the promise you get. If you will just stay close to God, he knows which steps you need to take. He knows how to get you moving in the right direction. So your confidence is not in the certainty of the path. Your confidence is in the one you're close to. That's what it needs to be. And then he gets you on the right path. So if I can just give, like, one last charge on this. Do not put your confidence in the path. Put your confidence in the person. That's where it needs to be. Amen. Amen. That was good. Okay? He knows where you need to go. Thank you for the golf clap. He knows where you need to go. He knows how to get you there. You just need to stay close. That's all you have to do. There's another aspect to this, though. We continue along this directional conversation here. Look what it says in verse four. Even though I walk through the darkest valley, I will fear no evil for you are with me. Your rod and your staff, they comfort me. Now David talks about this image of this darkest valley Maybe anybody who's read this passage before, other translations, you know it as the valley of the shadow of death. You hear that? Now, anybody who's lived during the 90s, you think Coolio invented that line. As I walk through the valley of the shadow of death, I take a look at my life. Oh, man, you're a bunch of sinners. You should not have known that line. You all got to get prayer at the end of this service. It's actually a great song, let's just be honest. But think about a valley. Think about a valley, this image of a valley. You've got a low point between two high points. This is dangerous business. You're in a valley, you don't know what's lurking above. You don't know what's coming around the corners. You don't even know the way out. This is such a powerful image. We still use it in our daily vernacular today. We talk about being in a valley. Now, you should have a moment of pause right now. There should be some cognitive dissonance happening in your mind. Because literally one verse ago, David just said, He leads me into green pastures by still waters. What are we doing in a valley? This doesn't seem like the right path. What just happened? It's a total change. Anybody who has lived long enough knows this to be true. Life is not all green pastures. It is not all still waters. There are some very dark valleys in life. Everything's going fine until all your hopes and dreams and plans for fertility and family planning don't go the way you you hope for. Everything's fine until the economic climate changes, and you're starting to use words like bankruptcy. Everything's fine until that person you gave your life to in front of your family and friends hands you papers. Everything is fine until the doctor sits you down and says, it's worse than we expected. If you live long enough, you are going to go through some very dark valleys. Some of us in here, you're in one right now. You're in a dark valley. And there are some very specific questions and struggles that come to your mind when you're in these seasons. Questions start coming to your mind like, God, where are you? What's going on? What's the purpose behind this? Have you abandoned me? Have you left me? Did I do something wrong? Am I getting punished for something I did? Because surely, God, you wouldn't be doing this if you were pleased with me. So what is happening here? And the hard thing, too, about valleys is this is many times when fear and anxiety starts to kick in, too, because you're starting to wonder what's going to happen. Am I even going to get through this? Am I getting to the other side of this valley? Is this going to kill me? And the interesting thing about fear is that you literally can not be living in a state of fear and rest at the same time. Like, they cannot coexist. And so it becomes impossible for you to live in this rested state that God really wants for you when you're living in this fearful valley. Now I was a pastor in Indianapolis before moving out to Colorado. I pastored this church in downtown Indy. And let me just be real. It was a little sketch sometimes. And we had a set up and tear down situation. We were renting a space and I was always the first one to get in to kind of get the doors unlocked and start the setup deal. And then I'd be like the last one to leave on Sundays. And sometimes it was a little scary. You had to watch your back and make sure the doors are locked behind you, all that. And there was a moment though when my perspective shifted about just the reality of our situation. It was when Officer Emmanuel showed up to our church. And this was just a great guy in the community who started getting connected to us. And he told me, he said, you know what, Brian, you know what I'm going to do? I'm going to show up every single Sunday, and I'm just going to be a presence for this church. And I just want to make sure everybody feels safe and comfortable. And there was something about the presence of Officer Emanuel that just put everybody's minds at ease. It completely just changed the attitude about where we were doing church and life. And this is what David is saying. They're very real valleys, and they can create a lot of fear, but you have a promise. God will protect. He will protect. Did you see what David said? He said, I will fear no evil. Did you see the reason, though? For you are with me. This is a reality you must recognize in any valley you go through. God is with you just as much in the valley as he was in the green pastures. His presence has not changed at all, no matter where you are in the journey. He's always with you. You have to become aware of the proximity of God in your life if it's actually going to be able to push fear out. You have to recognize the very presence of God because if you can really trust and believe in that, you will be able to say, I'm going to be okay. Like, we're going to get through this thing because God's with me. And then what you actually start to realize is that valleys are actually not for staying. Sometimes God just has to take you through a valley to get you to another green pasture, you're just passing through. And as hard as that is, though, the confidence of God's proximity completely changes your perception of what's actually happening in your life. David even says, your rod and staff, they are a comfort to me. These were tools that a shepherd used to protect the sheep and keep them in the fold. And so David is even saying, this isn't even on me. I don't even need the tools for my own protection. God has all of the resources. And so it's not even on you to be your own personal security detail. God has the whole thing covered. And so you need to know, especially those of you in valleys right now, you don't need to be afraid. You have the very presence of God with you. He has every resource available and he's going to make sure you are perfectly protected as you move towards greener pastures. It's a promise from God. Now, David is getting close to the end of the psalm here, and he shifts the conversation. We move from being outside to being inside. And now God is actually presented as a host here. Look what it says in verse 5. You prepare a table before me in the presence of my enemies. You anoint my head with oil. My cup overflows. Now what David is describing here is actually kind of a foreign concept to us here living in the West in our moment of time. Because what David is describing here is radical hospitality. And that's actually not a part of our culture these days. Many of us in here, maybe you've had this experience. You've lived by some of the same neighbors for 20 years, and you have no idea what their names are. You know what I mean? You give them the wave. You're like, oh, hey, Steve? (laughs) I know we met 20 years ago, and now we don't talk to each other. We just don't do that. Now, in the Middle East, it's a totally different deal, even when David was alive, but you can even go to places there now where if you just walk by somebody's house, they are going to insist that you come inside and have a whole meal. They're going to roll the red carpet out because it's just embedded in their culture. And so David is describing this idea of a table. This is a massive meal. I don't know what some of your like holiday traditions are, but for Thanksgiving, Nicole and I will typically go to Chicago to visit my family. We'll go to my sister's house. It's festive. There's music. There's all these people. But at some point in this trip, the food's going to come out. Praise the Lord Jesus on heaven and earth. The food comes out. And there's this moment, and it's just this glorious spread. And I have never had a moment at a Thanksgiving where I thought, I don't think we're going to have enough food. I've never thought that. My first thought is, how am I going to stuff all that food in my face? and have thirds and fourths. Like, there are, we are got to get all the pants unbuttoned on this eating adventure we're about to go on. That's the thought. And so David's trying to create this image of this massive spread. God is pulling out all the fixings. He even talks about this oil being poured on his head. Hosts would do that for their guests to cool him off from a trip. It was, again, a massive gesture of hospitality. He talks about his cup overflowing. Like, God's just got the drinks out. He's just pouring it down. This is a picture of ridiculous abundance. This is lavish generosity and hospitality. But it's not even just that. I don't know if you caught what David said about this moment. He said, you prepare the table in the presence of my enemies. So David is not living in ideal conditions right now. I mean, he's in the middle of a battlefield. And God's preparing this spread. There's a very real dynamic that we all experience and struggle with. And it's this fact that it is very hard to enjoy the good things in your life when you have bad stuff going on. It's hard. We've experienced this because you can have a lot of things kind of in place in your life, but then one of your kids goes sideways. And it kind of taints everything else, makes it all harder. You can kind of have everything sort of in place, but then maybe something gets weird at work And you're just struggling through that. And again, it just kind of ruins everything else a little bit. And what is so important about this that David is thinking of is that we often think we need perfect conditions for us to be able to enjoy our lives. We need everything to be in place. We can't have any of the drama or the issues going on. But what David is saying is you can have the blessing of God in your life even when you're going through the struggle. You can still experience his abundance and his goodness even in the middle of the battlefield. And some of us in here, you just need to stop and remind yourself of all the blessings of God in your life. That there actually are so many good things happening. And even though you're going through the hard stuff, you can invite in and experience the goodness of God. But David now lands the plane. And he closes the whole thing out here. He says, surely goodness and love will follow me all the days of my life. And I will dwell in the house of the Lord forever. So the final promise we get, God will get you home. When Nicole and I were living in Indianapolis, we Airbnb'd our house all the time. And we stayed in the house while we were airbnb it, so we got to meet all the guests. And we had hundreds of people coming through our house in any typical year because we lived walking distance away from the second busiest busiest music venue in the country. So number one is actually Red Rocks, but number two, it's in Indiana. And so people could walk there and save on the parking. So we had all these people come through our house. Man, I got stories about some of these strange characters that came through our house. <laughs> one was just kind of funny. There was this couple that came to stay the night and they were going to a country music concert. That's an important detail for this story, country music, because this says a lot about you country music lovers they come over, and they get settled in, and the guy proceeds to walk downstairs. Again, we just met 30 seconds ago, and he has a cut-off ripped plaid shirt on and cut-off jean shorts, and then he walks downstairs with a folding chair and a six-pack, and he just unfolds the chair right on the driveway, takes the shirt off. By the way, this is not Brad Pitt, who stayed at our house, and he proceeds just to blast country music on our driveway while he's drinking his six-pack, and I told Nicole, this is the most hillbilly thing I have ever seen in my life. This is unbelievable. And all of our neighbors are like, who are these strange people going over to the bigger's house? Now, the reason Nicole and I could tolerate this kind of behavior was not just because they were paying us for it, but we knew these odd characters were going to leave. They were just guests. They were going to move on. We didn't have to worry about them ever again. David, he said... I will dwell in the house of the Lord. Who dwells in a house? Family. Family dwell in a house. Airbnb guests do not dwell in a house. They're just passing through. And this is an important detail because what David is saying is you're not just going to pass through God's house to grab a quick meal and go back into your dark valleys to navigate on your own. No, God is leading you. He's taking you through green pastures. He's taking you by still waters. He's even walking with you through valleys so he can get you to an ultimate destination, his house for you to live in forever. You see, the journey of life is intense, is it not? Come on, think about this room. Think about what's represented in this room, probably the stories and stuff people have been through. It's real. There are hard roads, there's some good days, but it's a journey. Life is quite a journey. But look what John says in 1 John 3 See what great love the Father has lavished on us, that we should be called children of God. And that is what we are. You are not an Airbnb guest for God, you are one of his kids. And he is preparing his house for you. And this is the promise. As hard as the roads get, as dark as the valleys are, God is moving you somewhere. He is taking you home. He's taking you to his house. How nice do you think God's house is? It's pretty good, trust me. And we have this promise. If you are a Christian, this life is not all there is. It's actually pretty short. And yes, it has its hardships, but your promise is that your ultimate destination is perfect. There will be no more sin, no more suffering. And God is moving you every day closer to His ultimate promises of bringing you into His own house where He will continue to be your Father forever. This is good stuff. This is really good stuff. Do you see why you could rest? How much different would your daily life be if you actually believe this stuff down to the depths of your soul? This would change your life. How do you get this into your heart, though? How do you drive this deep down to your soul so you can really live out of this reality? Well, you have to realize something. This is not just some cute metaphor that David's using to write a poem. He didn't even realize that at the time, but he was speaking about a greater reality that was to come some years later. Because Jesus would arrive on the scene after David. And this is what he says in John 10. I am the good shepherd. The good shepherd lays down his life for the sheep. Jesus came and embodied every single thing that David wrote about. Jesus is the true and ultimate good shepherd. He did not just figuratively lay his life down for the sheep. He literally laid his life down for you. He provided for your greatest need, your sin and separation from God. He went into the darkest valley on your behalf, experiencing the very separation from and wrath of God on the cross. He has done everything in his power so you could experience the greenest possible pastures, the grace and goodness of God in your life. If you have Jesus, you lack nothing. He even said it himself. He said, in my father's house, there are many rooms. And I am preparing a place for you. God's got a room for you in his house. This is why you can rest. If you have Jesus, you have everything. He is going to provide for every single need you have in this life. He will make sure he keeps you on the right path as you stay close to him. He promises to guide you every step of the way. He will even protect you in the hardest seasons of your life. He will make sure they do not destroy you. But he gets you to the other side of where he wants you. And ultimately, even through this whole journey of life, you're going home. He's got a place for you. And so I just want to encourage you, if you have not made Jesus your shepherd, your Lord and your Savior. That is the best decision you could possibly make. He wants to come into your life. He wants to transform it. He wants to get you on the right path and completely take you in a direction you never even imagined. And he's ultimately going to get you home. Now, for all of us today, in Jesus, you have all the rest you need. He is going to refresh and restore your soul. So as we finish this series together as a church, let's step into the rest of God that we have in Jesus. Amen? Let's pray together, everybody. Lord, we just praise you this morning. These realities feel almost too good to be true, that we have a God who promises to give us everything we need that you will take us exactly where we need to go, that we have your very supernatural protection over our lives through every season we navigate. And ultimately, Lord, you are taking us somewhere. This is not just some aimless life. We're not just gonna die a hopeless death. No, we're gonna step into your house because you're our father and we're your kids. We thank you so much, God, for lavishing that love on us for taking care of us, God, for being such a good shepherd in our lives. And I pray for anybody here who has not truly brought you and invited you into their life as your shepherd. I pray you open up their hearts right now. And if you have not done that, invite Jesus into your life. Say, Jesus, be my shepherd, be my Lord, be my Savior. God, I pray you would change people's lives in our church. I pray for salvation pray for people to be delivered to experience what you promise in this passage. And for all of us, God, I pray that we can rest in the reality that we have a good shepherd who is with us every single step of the way. And we pray this in the name of Jesus. Everybody said, amen. Thanks for tuning into this week's message. If you would like to learn more about Northern Hills, you can go to nhills.org. You can also follow us online on Facebook, YouTube, or Instagram for more updates and events. We look forward to seeing you next week.